0: Stay. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the interests and actions of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Ben Doren, started working in the late 90s as a filmer for Puzzle, the European equivalent to 411 Video Magazine. Around the same time, he had the opportunity to join forces with Jeremy Daclin, pro skater and founder of the board brand Cliché Skateboards, as their team manager, main filmer, and videographer. They put together the brand's first video, of Europa, starring iconic European skaters of that era such as Vincent Bressol, Pontus Alves, Ricardo Fonseca, Gigi Rousseau, or Javier Mendisabal, to name a few. Europa was a game changer and established Cliché as a serious challenger from Europe for board brands around the world and particularly in the US. After Cliché, Ben spent a few years working at Globe Shoes and eventually left the skateboarding industry in 2008, right as the financial crisis was about to hit. He has since then used his marketing expertise in many different projects outside of skateboarding and is currently working on new projects in Villard de Lens in the French Alps where he lives with his family. So here's my conversation with Ben Doren, I hope you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Benoit Ben. Thank you very much for uh, <laughs> yes. taking some time to chat with me. So you grew up in uh, the Paris uh, area, right? I I think you told me you spent some time in Bourlaren and uh, around Thiers, that whole area. So in the Paris suburbs, right? Is that where you grew up?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's like the southeast uh, suburbs, little cities with not so many uh, skate spots. And yeah, I grew up there. I started skating uh, when I was 10. So it's around uh, 86. I think it's a bit classic, but I was more into uh, BMX, bike riding. And uh, in France at this time, we had a, one of the only magazines was called uh, BMX and Skate, Ross and Skate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was really interested into skating, watching the ads or the article, but uh, what when I really started, is like I had a friend who had like a very cheap skateboard? Uh, we used to call that in France the the, the go sport or skateboard, or I would say the supermarket skateboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get into it uh, really fast, and I would say a few uh, few weeks later, it was uh, Christmas. So I had uh, I went with my father at the skate shop. Uh, for the French, it's called Pierronnier, uh, a bike. Bike and sketchup, and I got these complete boards, uh, uh, an Alva built force I remember, with uh, school heads and uh, flu. Uh. <laughs> and yeah, it all started like this. It took me like uh, one year to really uh, be able to do uh, an Ollie because the boards were so AV at the time, and I was yeah. a small kid. And uh, yeah, after uh, at this time it was there was not so many skateboarders, you know, so I remember when I went to uh, it's called uh, sixth grade in France. There was only one skateboarder, It was in my class. And yeah, it was like this. And after I got two different crew that I started skateboarding with. And I would say from, so from 10 to probably 19 years old, I, I would skate every time I could, you know, after school. I would, uh, I would check uh, the weather forecast all the time. You know, when you're a skateboarder, you just want that it would never rain. And yeah, I was skating all the time. When, I, when it was, there was my last exam, uh, le baccalauréat in French, you have like a few weeks to, to work on your exam and I would just go skate. So <laughs> I had it, but uh, so close.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it, so, so you started snowboarding pretty much at the same time, right? I, I know that you did a lot of snowboarding as well uh, growing up. Did you start at the same time? Or did you start later in, later in life uh, to go snowboarding?
1: Uh, it's almost at the same time, uh, maybe one year later or something like this, I had the chance to go uh, uh, ski with my parents uh, uh, in the winter uh, during the holidays. So yeah, when you, when you start to skate and, you, uh, and, and if you go to a ski resort, you f- for sure you're going to start to snowboard. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was really the beginning at the, at the time. So I remember uh, the, my first board, I was riding ski boots because there were no, no uh, snowboard boots <laughs> for my size. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was really into snowboarding uh, almost at the same period. But I would say I got into snowboarding a lot around 15, when uh, with my skate friends we would start to uh, go uh, on holidays by ourselves without our parents. Mm-hmm. There was this uh, ski resort in France called Avaria. All the skateboarders in Paris would go to this resort. There was the, the, the first snow park was right there, and I mean it was. Like the city and the skaters in the city, in the mountain or something like that. So, I mean, I had a transition between skateboarding to snowboarding. The transition was, I would say, from 15 to 19. Mm-hmm. And I almost quit skateboarding around 19, 20. And also because, I mean, at the beginning when I was starting to to, to film skateboard, I would bring two boards because when you're filming skateboard, you have a board with a bigger wheels and, and very soft wheels and sure. uh, it's it's uh, I mean you you can do a, a, a only of a, a pavement but uh, not more it's yeah, impossible uh, yeah. to skate with uh, with a board like this so at the beginning I would bring two boards mm-hmm. but uh, two boards plus a, a backpack with yeah. the, uh, video equipment it's not so yeah it's not so practical. convenient and the, the 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 story it's also about when you have a board like this with you and, uh, and one of the riders is breaking his board, he's starting to, to, to take your board to finish the trick and most of the mm-hmm. time he breaks your board. So in the end, I just have one one filming board with me. And that's also why in the end, uh, I almost I quit skateboarding because uh, I only got my my filming board. Mm-hmm. Did you ever want to uh,
0: get sponsored or or try to become pro in skateboarding or did you just always skate for pleasure without aspiring to have a career out of it?
1: I was probably dreaming of stuff like this as a kid as uh, probably all the kids but it was not a plan at all and my uh, skateboarding level was alright at some times. But, uh, no, nothing close to uh, hope to be uh, sponsored. I got sponsored a little when I was snowboarding. Okay. Just got a few boards, but uh, I'm not even sure I, my level was <laughs> really enough to to be legit to, uh, to have those boards. But it was really a passion. Like, uh, I mean, I would go to school and the only thing I would do uh, outside school was uh, skateboarding. So... Uh, it's not an addiction, but it's really the passion like uh, your life is around skateboarding. Sure. But as a kid, I was like dreaming to work uh, in a sketch shop. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we would go in Paris to a street machine that is uh, yeah, a yeah. uh, Parisian sketchup shop. And yeah, you are and you see the guy behind the, the counter uh, selling balls. I'm not sure it's the, the, the most interesting job. Uh, <laughs> When you become adult, you, uh, I'm not sure many people uh, dream to uh, spend their life uh, working on a sketchup, shop, even if it's your passion. Gripping boards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the <laughs> and, uh, but uh, no, it's all about passion. And uh, nowadays, when I look back at my uh, working days in skateboarding, that's still what I, what, I, what I got in mind. That was a dream. And I had this unique opportunity to work in my passion for 11 years. It's uh, magic yeah
0: yeah for sure so uh this is just a a side question sort of but uh uh, i think you skated a lot with um, a famous french skater called Marc aziza and he used to nickname you uh, i I guess he still nicknames you king of downhill i was just wondering how that nickname came about like uh, what's the story behind that
1: i haven't really skated with him uh, when i was uh, skating a lot I, i I met him when uh, we started uh, puzzle because he was a good friend of the guy starting puzzle and uh, mm-hmm. but uh, on our first tour of skating um, first skate tour for, for to film for the first uh, puzzle, puzzle video. video. Mm-hmm. We were in, in Sweden in Stockholm. I think it was the end of the day we were skating and filming with the locals and uh, at some point we were like uh, um, up hill and uh, the locals were just going to go down the hill, you know, uh, like you're cruising down the hill with your friends and the light was good. So I uh, just mm-hmm. see this and like, oh, that's a nice shot, you know. So uh, I just put the camera on and uh, I push like an animal and I'm following them. And the, the the floor was really sketchy. So we were on the pavement. And at some point the pavement stopped and the guys just like uh, went down the on the street. Okay. And when you're following uh, skateboarders, you're you're filming uh, really close to the floor. You're actually really close to the floor, so you're not as easy on your ball as when you're skating. uh, Yeah, standing straight up. Uh, And at this point, so I'm I'm going really fast. The Mm -hmm. shot is very nice. And I have to go down the pavement. And when I land on the street, my board's starting to go really wobble and like I lose totally control. My trucks are like like if they were uh, totally loose. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, okay, I can't do a slide or power slide because with the soft wheels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even with the speed, maybe. I, anyway, and I decided to jump from the board and run as much as I can. But uh, I couldn't. I mean, I, I did it, but then I slam And I slammed yeah, so hard. Fell. Oh, and shit. as I have my brand new camera in the end, you know, I slam with like holding my hand in the air, yeah. you know, and I slam without even... You don't say that in English, but in French you say like a shit, you know, on the ground. (laughs) And like, slam so hard. And Mark Mark was behind, you know, and he told me after, as soon as I saw you starting to film those guys down the hill, he said, what the fuck is he doing? (laughs) And so after he nicknamed me King of Downhill, and I don't see often at at all, but I I saw him a few years ago, after maybe 10 years, and he called me King of Downhill. And so, yeah. (laughs) Till we die, I think, for Marco, uh, I'm king of downhill. No,
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can understand that he remembers this when he sees you. <laughs> so you just mentioned uh, Puzzle. So can you tell me a little bit about this project? So uh, basically, you told me you met with uh, Thomas Poulin, whose, whose nickname is Mamat, who co-founded uh, Puzzle, uh, which was basically sort of a European version of 411. But with, skate- with the snowboarding as well, it wasn't just skateboarding?
1: No, not really. Uh, the, Mamat has the idea to make a, a snowboard and skateboard European video magazine. So that right, was right. the first plan. And we met, we actually met uh, because we were snowboarding and we became friends uh, because we were snowboarding together. But, you know, it, it really started to be only a, a skateboard European video magazine. But uh, yeah, it's exactly... Um, like like 411, a, like mm-hmm. 411 with a, a pro part, tour part, the contest. And uh, 411 was every two months. Mm-hmm. And puzzle was every three months because uh, it was already a challenge. And um, yeah, we met together. I remember it, we were friends already. And he told me one day, okay, follow me on this project. I can't promise anything to you, but yeah mm-hmm. just come with me. And yeah, I think it was really important. It was a, a friend stuff. So I never never been associate to the company but I've been right. yeah I can say I'm, I'm like the co-founder of Puzzle uh, since day one and uh, I think they made 48 videos and I've been filming uh from the first to the 41 okay when I quit working so I've been investing in every puzzle uh, it started uh, yeah as a friend stuff uh,
0: so that was uh, that was at the end of the 90s right
1: so around 98
0: or 97
1: maybe the video was premiered in uh, September 97 uh, at a trade show in France, which was called the uh, Glisse Expo. So it was oh, a yeah, famous, yeah. famous trade show in the south southwest of France, uh, where all the surf industry is, is located for Europe. And so mm-hmm. a trade show with a skateboard contest. And, uh, and so all the industry was there. So we did the premiere there. But before, um, so Mamat was really friend with uh, Marc Aziza. The beginning was he was getting with him a lot. He did a, a a part with Mark in the first video and most of the video was also filmed in a 3 weeks tour we did in France. Okay. So it was two filmers, Mamad and me and uh, Marc Aziza and uh, Naonus Baum who was a good friend of Mamad uh, and Marco. So uh, someone lent us a car. A very shitty car, but uh, <laughs> the guy who lend us uh, who lend us his car, it was very cool. His name is Dave Melmine and he, he became later the European marketing director for for Quicksilver in Europe. Okay, and he was at the time he was uh, doing his own brand, and so uh, the deal was okay. I lend you my car to whatever you want, and you you give me an advertising in your video. So right. yeah, we went from south of France to Montpellier. At the time, in the the summer in Europe, there were tons of... uh, In July, you you had a a big contest uh, every weekend. So we started by this uh, contest in France. Mm -hmm. We went up to Sweden, so I don't know, it's probably 3,000 kilometers, maybe more, I think. Mm. So yeah, we did all the European contests. So you had Munster, you had Praha, you had stuff like this.
0: What was the one in uh, Prague? There was one in the Mystic Cup or something? Yeah.
1: You had the the World Cup in Munster, you had the the Mystic Cup. For some time, you had this, uh, it it was called Attitude Festival in Montpellier. It was very cool. It was uh, also about music. And after, you had also Lausanne. Oh, yeah. yeah. So at this time, I mean, it was very important because many of the American pro would spend all July in Europe going from contest to contest. And uh, so we were sure to film all these very important contests. And after, yeah, we would start to go, uh, we went to Belgium, to Germany, Holland, Copenhagen to buy weed for Marco, especially.
0: <laughs>
1: and up to Stockholm, and it was all about, okay, we we have a connection, we can stay at uh, some friends or some friends of your friends. And all the first European Video Magazine was filmed mostly on this uh, three weeks uh, skate tour.
0: Mm-hmm. So you started this project with uh, Mamat and uh, so you were traveling a lot and filming. And, and by the way, were, were you uh, doing mostly filming or were you involved in other stuff uh, w- with the company? Were you editing? Were you doing other things than uh, purely uh, filming uh, tricks, basically?
1: At the beginning, I wasn't editing. Even for the first video, uh, Mamat didn't know about edit. So we actually edit with someone uh, technically uh, and Mamat, telling to the guy, OK, you cut there, you put this trick because, yeah, nobody had a computer and we didn't. So for the first years, I was just filming, but I was taking care of uh, getting in contact with the different filmers in Europe and trying to find new filmers because uh, Mamat wouldn't speak a word in English. So that's the funny story about a guy wanted to do a, a European video magazine, and even at the end, he wouldn't speak a, a wall of English. <laughs> so I was I was the guy who would be able to speak uh, some English, and uh, so yeah, I would take care of, of trying to get filmmakers in the project because there were no filmmakers, almost no filmmakers in Europe, and the difficult part was like when there were there was a filmer in a country and a filmer that could actually uh, film some good stuff he would do his own video in his country. So we had this problem to try to motivate the the people to say, okay, we have this European project. It's not easy to tell them like almost like maybe it's better if you send us your footage and and in the end you don't do your local video in your country. So the beginning was Mm -hmm. not easy. I mean... uh, I mean, we had lots of critics, negative critics, uh, criticism. Sometimes with puzzles because uh, people would say, "Oh, the skateboarding is not so good," or "the music is shit." Or... People won't imagine how difficult was it to get actually uh, some okay filming yeah. or music rights, or so. And I remember that uh, sometimes it was really hard for Mama to hear people talk
0: shit yeah
1: yeah it was i mean people uh, were right but when you invest you know, so much and you invest all his money in the project and you never really made i mean for, at some years we would pay ourselves but just regular money but most of the years i mean we also yeah. myself i probably spend so much money uh, in the project so i mean the thing also is like it's 97 24 years before and uh, at this time there was no internet i mean i, I remember mamat has his first email in 97 and uh, nobody had a computer at the time even yeah yeah so i couldn't even uh, learn how to do it so no i was i was mostly filming but mamat was staying at the office he mm-hmm. was taking care of the company also so it's a lot of uh, time spending on running a company uh, and he right. was editing so i was the guy uh going uh, on tour going in europe and also spending most of the time filming so i was On our, let's say, association, I was the guy who would uh, travel most of the time in Europe and spend lots of time uh,
0: on the road. uh, Yeah, because
1: we couldn't just uh, wait for European filmers to send us some uh, footage. Yeah. For years, we had to go to the country to film. uh, Film yourselves. yeah. Film Mm -hmm. myself, the skater, in different countries. Sure.
0: So you were doing that for a little bit, and then you um, had the opportunity to go film Jérémy Daclin, who founded Cliché. I don't remember what year he founded Cliché, but I guess it was pretty much around that time, maybe 97, 96 or something. Yeah, It's also 97. 97, right. yeah, yeah. So you went to Lyon to film a part with him for Puzzle, right? That's, that's how you first got introduced to Jérémy? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, uh... I didn't know him, and uh, I had decided to film a part with him because he was such an important skateboarder in France yeah. and also in Europe and known a, a bit in the U.S. And also, it was I was a kid, there were two French skateboarders in the 90s and even later, but in the 90s, it was Stéphane Laurence yeah. and Jeremy Darklin. I was a kid. I had, I had those guys on the poster on my walls and, and say I wanted to do a part with him. And um, I tried to remember if I saw him at the Mystic Cup and mm-hmm. I spoke with him there or if I just give him a, gave him a call. I'm not sure. He just said yes uh, directly. OK. So not long after, he, it was probably summer, summer 99. Like a few days later, a few weeks later I was uh, arrived in Lyon and I wanted to start to film with him i mean cliche was uh he was the guy running cliche by himself i mean he was doing abso- absolutely everything sure running the company uh packing the stuff for the for the shops and everything, so it was mm-hmm. really small and he was actually working uh, every day uh, a lot yeah. He was really into doing this uh, this filming part, but uh, he didn't really have uh, some free time. So we were trying to film during lunchtime and sometime after his uh, working day in Cliché. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a little trip to Marseille because he want, he really wanted to have a, a, a trick in the Marseille Bowl. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's few days or I probably stay one one week and uh, it wasn't really working. I mean, he, he didn't really have, have enough time to film. Sure. I can't remember if we spoke together or if he, if it's him who said, oh, I don't think it's going to work. Hey, just tell me, oh, but uh, instead of filming me, uh, you should do the, the cliché skate video. Just like this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at this time, there, there weren't, I mean, many filmmakers in France or Europe, but uh, we probably uh, had some good times together. I mean, Jeremy is uh, he's really uh, someone who welcomes you. I mean, uh, it's a very nice guy, you know, so... Mm-hmm. He probably also see that uh, we were hanging out together and we had some nice time. So, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, it all started like this. OK, yeah, let's go. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all how it started. At the time, I was I was filming a lot in skateboarding and yeah, I wasn't making any money. I, the money wa- which I was making uh, when you have to buy a camera and they probably pay me a, a bit of food. But uh, yeah, when you have to pay your travel, food or whatever. so. I was filming a lot, it was hard, Mm -hmm. it was a hard job, and uh, I wasn't making any money. So I was like, okay, I was thinking about quitting filming and let's say get a regular job. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so I I think in my head, I was like, I I don't think I already said that to someone, but I said, okay, I will film the cliche video. That's a unique opportunity to film a a brand video, Mm -hmm. and I will quit uh, filming after the video. Right, right. Okay. And at the time, for example, to tell you there were not so much money, mm-hmm. Jeremy told me, okay, I have a budget. It's not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, a, it was 10,000 francs. So it was, it's 1,500 euros for one year of filming, including my expenses. Oh <laughs> my so God. travel <laughs> and everything. But at the same time, I mean, for me, it was not a money project, you know. Yeah, yeah. Filming in skateboarding was not about to... At the time, he wasn't about to make money. Of course. Even if I was doing it like a job. And for cliché, for Jeremy, it actually, I mean, we love, but it, it actually, it was, uh, it was some money. Yeah. It was not that he was trying to, to pay, uh, to doesn't pay that much the filmer. No, it was some money. Mm-hmm. Because he, he wasn't really making uh, much money. You know, when you sell skateboards and t-shirts and, uh, and wheels, you don't make so much money. So of yeah, it all started like this. I remember that uh, he would really trust me, but uh, the only thing he wanted to do is like uh, planning, like uh, just to know, OK, uh, this time you will you will visit uh, this skater. And uh, so I remember I told him that it, it wasn't like if I was going like seven days, see uh, each skateboarder and we would do two tours with all the team in one year that we will be able to make a, a skate video. But he was really into it. So I said, OK, OK. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the beginning was, uh, it's starting really mellow and I wasn't really satisfied with the the beginning. I mean, I mean, in Europe, the the weather start to be not so good in fall, you know. Oh yeah. Winter can be really hard, cold Mm. and uh, and rainy. So uh, yeah, it was kind of hard with the weather and I went to visit some skateboarders Went to visit a German skateboarder. It was called Mehmet Edin. Oh yeah, <laughs> we nicknamed him the the German Pasha. <laughs> and he has a, a, a unique style and so smooth. But he, I think he was uh, his career was kind of behind him. And uh, I went ten days to visit him, and uh, I probably got two three tricks in ten days. And he wouldn't be able to jump anymore on stairs on Gaps, rails, yeah. or rails. It happened a few times during this first uh, skate session, also in, Bruce, in Brussels, with riders that didn't really uh, fit together.
0: So the team at that time was... Uh, so because Cliché was founded by Jeremy, who's French. Yeah. Uh, so there were some French riders. Uh, Gigi Rousseau was on the team, uh, Nicolas Caron. But I think pretty much all the rest were from all over Europe. Right? There was Javier Mendisabal from Spain, Pontus Alp from Sweden. I can't remember all the other ones, but like, uh, were all these people coming to Lyon to film with you? Or were they filming where they were skating in their local countries, where their own filmers? How were you uh, uh, working with them, basically?
1: I think there's, there are two questions <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. your question. I mean, at the time, Jamie wanted to make a European company for European skateboarders, pro-European skateboarder, to be able to stay in Europe. That's right. So they don't, they don't have to cross the... Atlantic. The Atlantic and try and try to to get a visa by chance and try to hope to make a career uh, in the US. Sure. So uh, he wanted to help European skateboarders to uh, showcase them and so that was his plan from the start. So he wanted it to be European but he it was still a lot about French skateboarder or French speaking skateboarder. He, you, you would have uh, some French skateboarder for sure, a Swiss, a Spanish, a German Pontus was, wasn't in the, uh...
0: the. The initial team?
1: No, n- not even when we started really to film. Okay. And Jeremy was a nice guy and he would help so many skateboarders. So the team, it wasn't really clear who was on the team, who was. I mean, the pro skateboarders, I mean, the one who had the board, it was clear. The amateur it was kind of clear, but between amateur and what we would call flow, or shop yeah a uh, sponsor through cliche in the shop uh, so that was that wasn't clear at all so yeah, <laughs> Jeremy would help so many skateboarders with giving them board so um actually the video there was a selection almost a natural selection when starting to film for the video, like who was able to film a video part mm-hmm. and who didn't want or who wasn't really able to film a, a video part. Because at the time you were you would get sponsored mostly because you would get uh, photos in the magazines, right? Maybe you would do demos or sometimes competition content skateboarders. But it's so different to be able to have an interview with four or five tricks and maybe two sequences and be able to, to film a three minute video. part yeah, where for sure. All the tricks have to be perfect mm. because you can be a stylish skateboarder, or even you could shoot a, a very stylish photo, but the landing can be sketchy, or you could put the end. So it's very different. It's I would say it's kind of easy to make a, an interview in a in a magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a
0: video part, so yeah.
1: To make a, th- a three minutes video part, when you think a good a good trick is two to three seconds, that's a hard job. And so the team changed from the beginning when we started the video, and when we actually had the premiere. And that was a difficult time for Jeremy. Okay. Because, I mean, sometimes I I would tell him that the difficulties I had with some skateboarders, and actually I I knew he would see it, but it was difficult for him to admit that uh, he would probably have to stop sponsoring some of the skateboarders. That was very hard for him, but it's actually how it happened, and... uh, Mm I don't think anybody uh, that was in the former skate team, cliche team, had anger against Jeremy because they would understand. I mean, they they wouldn't be able to have a video part. And I I would say that's the deal in in skateboarding. I mean, you don't have a video part, you're out of the team. I mean, that's maybe terrible, but that's the deal. And your other part of the question is, going to visit someone seven days it going probably to rain two days. You got kicked off one day. You break his board. You don't get that much stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we would do some uh, skate mission. We would do a lot of skate mission in uh, Lyon. Right. In Paris, Barcelona, also in Brussels, where uh, Geoffrey Vanov was uh, staying. And mm-hmm. basically, where you could find good spot and where we would be able to uh, to stay. Because uh, there is no way we would be able to pay hotel or mm. stuff like <laughs> this. So... We had the chance that uh, Alexis Zavialov was a, a photographer at the time. And actually, the super eight videos that you can see uh, in the intro on the cliche video right. is the filming of Alexis and, uh, and Jeremy, mm-hmm. none of mine. And so the story is like, yeah, Alexei has two brothers. They were tennis players, like really, really almost professional tennis players. And they would train in Barcelona. So they had a, a flat in Barcelona. Mm-hmm when they were not in Barcelona, we would be able to go in the flat and stay in Barcelona. So that was the perfect plane. And I mean, ba- the weather in Barcelona was perfect all year long. Yeah. The sports were perfect. And at the time, there weren't so many skateboarders. Yeah. I think.
0: But Barcelona wasn't as famous for skateboarding as it, it became more famous, I guess, after the probably early 2000s, after Europa and Menikmari and and all those yeah. videos.
1: It was starting to be scaled, but yeah, I think it's after the Europa and the Menikmati that the boom for Barcelona uh, starting. Sure. And so all the spots were um, not so much scaled, so there were still a lots of tricks. I mean, we did skate some of some of the spots in the cliché video were not filmed before uh, we actually did it. When you are in the Magban Museum, there are these very very long ledge. Oh yeah. And I think Jeremy is doing a crooked. Gigi so Rousseau does the nose grind or something, frontside nose grind? Nolly nose grind, that's still a very good trick. And JB JB Gillette who wasn't on the team but Oh yeah, uh, uh backtail. Yeah he did backtail and this spot you can't you can't skate it, I mean I don't know nowadays, but you can't skate it on daytime. Actually, we had to go online, and we didn't have any uh, lamp and generator, or the the American had uh, at the time. So uh, we light the spot with uh, cars. So <laughs> wow! When you see the filming, the light is not so good, and to skate it, you actually skate kind of in the dark. Yeah. So yeah, this spot, it was really uh, three really good tricks, and uh, so. We had the chance to be able to sometimes do, uh, I mean, the Spanish skaters. They would do uh, crazy tricks on their spot, but uh, sure, we still did lots of tricks that uh, were not really done, and you would not get kicked off so much because there was not so many skaters at the time. The weather was perfect. You could go skate all the spot by subway, so you don't need a, a car. And I don't know, it's uh, the, the life was so good. It was it was cheap to eat. Mm-hmm. We could party, uh, we could also party.
0: <laughs> yeah, important for skaters as well. Yeah, also. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, as I was saying, the, the European winter is it's very difficult to... Rough, in. yeah. Yeah, it's rough. If, uh, you could spend your winter in Barcelona, but we, we wouldn't be able to afford that. And we would also want to have a diversity.
0: Yeah, of spots and uh, locations and, yeah.
1: Because, yeah, w- one of the ideas behind the cliché video was like, okay, we will try to showcase our cliché riders and to... I mean, it was humble it's, to show the world, but not to show the world because oh, they will show how good we are, but yeah, to yeah. maybe see, okay, they are, it's not only about the US. You know, Jeremy, you know, at the time when you were a European skateboarder sponsored by a U.S. brand, an American filmer would come three days, four days, five days in Europe, and you had to film your part in three, four days when the American rider would film one year, yeah. probably. So he, want, he wanted to change that. And the, the idea was also to, okay, we will try to show all the diversity of skate spots because in the U.S., at the time, you would see sometimes the same skate spot from, I mean at least the Californian skate spot, it was all the time the same skate spots. Even if the video were sick, the skate spots were all the time the same. So we really wanted to try to film in very different locations in countries. So that means we would not film a cliche video only in Spain because the spots were great and the the weather was great. So that means as I was really into snowboarding, I went from December to March. I went to spend the whole season uh, as I was doing in the winter. And that was also um, a good break for me mm-hmm. to actually uh, yeah, do something else uh, and not spend my whole year filming. Mm-hmm. And we got the most of the filming from uh, from spring. So from uh, April to end of September. Okay. It's 2000 the year 2000 and that's where i mean it's probably the case for many videos i mean it's starting mellow you don't get that many tricks and more you go till the deadline the deadline and more you're filming and more the riders feel the pressure sure. and i think it's it's probably a natural process i don't see any good rider who film his part the first month and then say <sighs> okay it's done <laughs> and you could also say in one year i mean Sometimes you progress, or sometimes you you the trick progress, or yeah, there's different influence in skateboarding in one year. So, of course, yeah. But I spend lots of time on trips. Mm-hmm. So with the world team, we spend lots of time yeah in Paris, Lyon, and Barcelona. Okay, you can probably feel that in the in the video. Sure. And I mean, those three cities they have tons of spots. Yeah, they are not far. Uh, we could stay at some friends uh, in Paris. I would stay at my parents' house. Yeah. Vincent Bressel was living there. Uh, Geoff would take the train and was like uh, one hour. It was very easy to, to meet in Paris or to meet in Lyon. Mm-hmm. And in Lyon, there was the the squat, the cliche apartment. So yeah. we would need to uh, be really low profile on the expenses. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a low budget for me, but there was almost no budget for the riders to... Oh, yeah to travel as well, or sometimes I would pay the travel with my <laughs> my own budget expense uh, from the video. I think we also did uh, a last trip filming uh, with the whole team mm-hmm. in Barcelona, again, in September 2000, and we probably spent uh, two, three weeks intense filming to, to really... Uh, yeah,
0: r- wrap up the video.
1: Get the last trick. We also get few last tricks in Paris because uh, I did the editing in Paris, mm-hmm. So, uh, I was really focusing on editing, but uh, you know, you you fix a deadline. You say, okay, end of September, Mm -hmm. you don't think anymore. And all the skateboarders are like, okay, just one more trick. I got (laughs) this unique trick, you know? So, I I did film few last trick in October 2000, but the the deadline for filming was end of September, but the premiere for the video was mid November. So, the time was really short to edit a, a one year video. It, so it took you just one month to do the whole editing? The, or did you, did you start
0: editing as you were filming the video? Or did you just just sit down and start editing uh, at the very, very end?
1: I started editing at the very, very very end. Damn. It took one month and a half. And the funny stuff, it's like, uh, one day I just go to Jeremy and say, I think we need a computer. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> we, so I had one year in filming on my tapes. Mm-hmm. So before editing, you have to... to... In France, you say derroge, you have to put all the tricks, uh, oh, find yeah, yeah. all the tricks in the different tapes and, sure. and put them. So that's uh, not the most interesting job uh, when you have to edit, but you have to do it. You have to classify, to organize, because after yeah. it, it would... When you start really to edit, you're not going to go in a check to try to find a trick in uh, one of the Android tapes uh, you have. So well, yeah. you really have to do the job perfectly before you really start to edit. Exactly, yeah. And so you buy, we buy a computer, we buy a hard drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at the time, it was a 20 giga hard drive. Holy shit. But it, it was a, a huge one at the time, you, can, you have to imagine. So <laughs> that's a very different time. And so we had the computer, I had the hard drive, and yeah, it, it started like this. Mm-hmm. At the time, Puzzle was in the Lord's Wheels
0: warehouse. So in, in the Paris area, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, in Montreal, so really close to Paris. Okay. And there were a free uh, a free rooms. So, yeah, Mamat, uh, very friendly, uh, told me, oh, you should uh, come to Puzzle and, and edit because uh, I didn't know how to edit. Mm. So it's not only about trying to edit a video in one month or one month and a half. I never had a computer at all, so I never...
0: You had to figure it all out within a month and at a time where there was no internet, no YouTube tutorials, like nothing to...
1: I had no tutorials, but I had a professor. And Mamat, he teached me the, the basics. A big thank to Mamat because uh, without him, I don't think I would, I would have made it to the deadline, never. Sure. So it was a very difficult and exhausting process to learn how to edit when actually doing a skateboard company video where there were so much expectation uh, on the video. So of course, yeah. actually, I was... Um, not at the beginning, for probably for the last three weeks, I was sleeping at the office behind on the floor, <laughs> behind my desk. so I would spend some time four or five days sleeping on the floor,
0: editing all day.: yeah.
1: I would edit till I would fall asleep. during the editing. I probably wanted to stop three or four times seriously.. Mm. It was a, a difficult process to actually learn how to edit during, yeah. doing the Europa video. But uh, and I had kind of I wanted to do something good.
0: Well,
1: yeah, let's talk about the music,
0: a bit of the video, because it's um, so you, you picked uh, all of the music yourself or did, did you also ask some of the writers uh, what, what kind of music they wanted to use for their parts? Or how did you uh, select the music and, and how did you work on the sound? But that's that's another question for later, maybe.
1: Ideally, I would have loved to pick all the music by myself, mm-hmm. but uh, you can't really do that. I mean, you can't really force a skateboarder to yeah. to, to have a son. But no, all the, the riders, they would choose their music. I wanted also to try at least to have most of the music rights, legal rights to use the music because... Uh, at the time, you know, especially in the, in the American videos, they would just, uh, I think they would never really ask for rights. Right, right yeah, yeah. Especially in France, you know, you, the legal thing about music rights, at the time it was already really, really um, strict. Sure. I didn't want to have any problem with that. So, sometimes the writer had to choose a music, I would say, on a selection of, of music, we had the rights for but it's not the same for every writer. So some music we never even uh, asked the music for. So it's the Pontus... Uh, oh yeah, the Bob Dylan
0: song, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, you're not going to ask the, the record company to have the, the Bob Dylan rights for a very famous uh, French video. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the outro video, so it's Chemical Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. I w- really wanted to have this sound for the outro. So, uh, But for most of the other we either had the rights or some of the music were produced for the writers.
0: Like the Nikola Malinowski song for Gigi Rousseau, right?
1: Yeah. Nicolas Caron's part is one of his friends who uh-huh. the video. Joe Van it's... Uh... Oh yeah,
0: Julian Dickmans, you told me. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, 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 his
1: friend Julian Dickmans. So that was easy for us when we don't even had to ask for the rights. I think for Nicolas Caron, the music already existed and we used it. But for Gigi, uh, the music was definitely created. Oh, yeah. And so it's really interesting because I could ask for modification, you know. Could you do this? Could you probably change the sound, put it more loud and everything? So when you're a filmer and you you want to re-edit, thinking of the music, it's such a chance to be able to ask the guy who's making the music to change it as you want. Right, right. And the guy who was making the music, Nikola Marinovsky, it's a skateboarder, mm-hmm. it's uh, Gigi's friend. So yeah, it made, it made sense. It made yeah. sense.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that you wanted to talk to me about was the sound in the video. Not just the music, but the actual sound of the skating. Can you tell me a little bit about how you worked to uh, make it more crisp or more uh, audible, basically? Uh, how did you manage to uh, make a better sound quality for the, the, the actual skating
1: the thing is, when you're a skater, there's a filming with your body, but the, I mean, the sound is also something very important. When you land a trick, or when you clack your tail, or when you slide, when you. I thought about this yesterday, I just put a, a new deck, you know, for...
0: I saw that on Instagram, yeah.
1: For 13 years, that was the, the first skateboard I just uh, set up. And yeah, when you're a skater and you have a new deck and the first ollie with a brand new board, it's like clack. It's like there's a feeling about the sound, I would say. Yeah. So... The thing also is like, we were recording with camera that would not record the sound with a, such a good quality. It was automatic recording, so also when, when you imagine that the skater would clack the tail to ollie, an automatic system would say, oh, the sound is so loud, so it would down the size. Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: And after, if there's a grind, the grind is actually, the clack is BOOM, and the grind is like...
0: Oh, it's kind of like an autofocus, but with the sound, basically.
1: Yeah. The time it has to adapt, as the skateboard trick is so fast, the sound is not on the same level as it should be if you were recording on a poor level. At the time you could also set up manually, mm-hmm. but I think there were no uh, sound plugs, so you couldn't really check your sound live uh, when filming. Yeah, on the spot, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, if you would record it manually, If it's too low or too high, you affect the sound uh, also. So I was trying to modify the sound, putting some points on the timeline to uh, try to make that the sound is on the same level and also adapt the global sound of the skate Mm -hmm. with the sound music. So it's a precise balance with just your rule about your ear that you want to hear the music, but you need to hear the sound. I told you that a skate video with no music, it's shit. But at least it's better to have a skate video only with the skate sound, it can be good. But if you have a skate video with the music and there is no skate sound, or it's so bad, so low, the feeling, the way you see the trick, the difficulty, it's totally different. Yeah, very true. I just have an example that Jeremy at some point is doing a feeble grind at the Conforama spot, uh, it's the red. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, on the side uh, with the bushes uh, next
1: to the rail, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Islam in the bushes at some yeah, point. Yeah, And I'm filming a long lens and I'm just next to a, a road with lots of cars, so... Yeah. Thinking that you don't have the sound, when you check the trick in your camera, there is no screen. So you check if the trick is good filming, good landing with the rider, but you can't check the sound. So that's when, a few months after I put the trick in the computer, I say, oh, it's almost as if there is no sound. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I could find a grind sound from another trick that was kind of feeling the same because it's a square rail, so it's not exactly... Yeah. And I found a good one. But um, the real change is... Um, Fred Morten was filming the Menikmati exactly the same year as we were filming the cliché video, sometimes, as we said, on the same spot. Mm -hmm. And the premiere, I mean, the European premiere of the Menikmati was happening in uh, Brussels, in Belgium, probably two weeks before uh, we did the premiere for the...
0: Oh, okay. You saw it before you did the premiere of Europa. Just
1: before. And I mean, you know, it was a video we were waiting... For long it was filmed by Fred it was in a cinema so the sound quality was really good Mm -hmm. i never spoke with Fred about this so i don't know if he actually did a really good work on the sound or if i was also impressed by the quality of the sound of the music plus the skate in a cinema compared to me uh, watching it on a small tv screen Mm -hmm. but uh, when i came back and I, i was finalized the editing I probably spend uh, way much more time working on my skate sound that I was actually doing before, but I probably spend twice much time. Uh-huh. It's also probably what uh, make me be late.
0: Oh, yeah. On the editing, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it made a difference. And since this day, I spent a lot of time with the skate sound tracks working on them.
0: To make the sound better, yeah. Yeah. So you told me you, you had to edit the video for a full month and you were pretty much killing yourself doing it. And so the premiere arrived, So it's November 2000, right? Yeah. So you told me there was the premiere the same day as the opening of this uh, big store in France called Cittadium, which is like kind of a big sportswear sort of uh, store, but with lots of like skate brands and um, stuff like that so tell me a little bit about that evening and how you managed to finish the video right the editing and the really final hours or even minutes uh, before the premiere
1: i don't remember uh, exactly but i i know that uh, jeremy booked a date for the premiere i would say a long time in advance Mm -hmm. long time i would say uh, probably two months in advance okay and so yes a bit later we discover that the exact same day there is this uh, yeah opening large store mm-hmm. it's 6000 uh, square meter store uh, it's a very famous uh, store in Paris where all the tourists in the world are coming so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a giant thing they have so much money it's uh, now it's called the caring group it's like oh, a, yeah. uh, a multinational it's like a, a huge huge company so they have so much money and yeah. They are trying to go into the streetwear and skateboarding and surf uh, industry by opening a very very large store. Mm-hmm. So they are not legit, you know. They, so for the opening, they send invitation and they would uh, pay the expenses for so many people from France and some from Europe to come, and all the surf industry that is locating in South uh, West and yep. uh, media, so surf, skates uh, snowboard media, everything. Mm-hmm. So, all the industry is in Paris for this evening, and we are like, oh, we are fucked, you know because mm-hmm. even if people are would really be into going to the cliche premiere, some people would be because it 's like you 're going to a giant party with champagne yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so I mean you can understand people are like, ah, yeah like, uh... because, <laughs> i mean it 's cool to see a video premiere, but we would do other premieres later, and people would know that uh, So probably uh, if you go to the Lyon Première uh, one week later, uh, you can probably uh, go to this giant free party and uh, party like an animal. uh, So we are like really, uh, we are not anxious, but we are, I mean, we find it, we find it's it's very bad for the premiere, you know, so, but later on, this shop premiere is actually starting early, Mm -hmm. between 6 or 7 p.m. It's probably, we also put the premiere a bit later on, so like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. And from something being negative at the first, <laughs> in the end, all the industry was in, was in Paris. Yeah. Even sometimes, I would say, France, people would have never traveled France. Or people from the surf industry or the snowboard industry, you know, they would be in Paris. So, in the end, it was so much positive. And we, we made the premiere in a very large location. It was a cafe, a music cafe concert cafe called uh, MCM Cafe. Uh, MCM was like a French or European MTV. Right. Mm -hmm. And they would do a concert and they would also record uh, live sometime for the TV. So they had all this crazy sound. uh, And it was a cafe, a bar you could put so much people uh, in it, probably uh, 2,000 people or something like this. Mm -hmm. So it was a chance to have all this... This crowd, yeah. It's not so good to drink so much alcohol, (laughs) but uh, imagine when uh, (laughs) people arrive around nine.
0: They're already a little bit drunk and yeah.
1: they were a bit drunk, at least we could say they were fucking Motivate and uh, having fun and like uh, I think there there was it was cool for 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 Premiere but at the time I would edit till very very last minute and I had problems with the computer at the very last minute so the Premiere is at 9 p.m. I'm at the other side of Paris so I have probably one hour transport to go there and a bit late because in fact in this day, you know, I'm making little uh, details, but I'm probably export the editing twenty times and check it. And ah oh, fuck, there's few little details I have to to make the, the modification. But when it's all good, you know, and I click on the enter tab on the computer, mm-hmm. the computer it doesn't crash, but right? nothing happens. Uh-huh. And it's seven p.m. and I can't export the video for the premiere. No. no, no. <laughs> Then, you know, the world is stopping, you're like, you're tired. After and, all this hard
0: work, uh, at the last minute, you must have felt horrible.
1: What's the point? You know, you imagine Jeremy going to the mic and say, oh, we are sorry, we have a problem. The computer
0: crashed. Yeah.
1: You don't see a premiere where there is no premiere. You know, it's, it can't happen like this. So... Hopefully, Mamat is there, you know, he's helping me for the last day and he's trying so many stuff with the computer, with the editing. And at some point, we are able to export the video without sound. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and we
1: spoke about the importance of sound in mm-hmm. music video and you spend a month and a half to edit with the sound. Yeah. So it's probably around 9, 9.30. I got the one hour transport. People are waiting and Jeremy is calling me. And, okay, it's all right, uh, when, are, when are you coming? Yeah. When, you, when do you arrive? And I'm tired, I'm like, fuck man, maybe the video would be only with no sound. And I'm talking shit a bit, not because I'm having disrespect to him, and I'm so tired, and I'm like, I'm, I'm so pissed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm saying, okay, we are trying other stuff, and at the time, you know, um, Mamat has this just idea, and said, okay, we are going to export it on the VHS. But it's not a good quality, Mm -hmm. and it's not digital. Yeah, We also don't have a tape with nothing on it. So, okay, we just take a puzzle tape, you know, and we... we Record it over it. Record over it. You don't do that on a VHS. You know, VHS is a one-time... It works, but it's not good. Yeah, it's not
0: designed to do that, yeah.
1: No. So to export it, it's very, very long. So you probably spend half an hour export the video. And so... It's too late. We don't have the time to watch the whole video to see if everything happens good. To or... check if
0: everything's okay, yeah.
1: watch uh, three
0: points, you know, three... Three different time frames. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so you say, okay, it's okay. And you, you also have to bring the, this uh, VHS recorder and player, you know, and, and you drive like crazy and it's... I can't really remember, but I probably arrived like two hours, two hours and a half. After the... Than... Yeah. So as I was telling you, Everybody arrive probably at nine, really happy, a bit drunk, and so they spend two hours being more and more happy. Yeah. So <laughs> when I arrive it's like actually it's a party, you know, it's not just a premiere, it's a party. Mm-hmm. And I'm so tired. And so I go directly to the guy uh, who is going to play the video. And who who is, uh, as I told you, they play concert there. So they have this crazy music sound table with all buttons everywhere. And the guy is asking me, okay, how do you want the sound? Like, uh, maybe not too loud or maybe... uh..." And I I watch him. I'm like, "Uh, uh, man, you're going to put everything the most loud you can and the most powerful you can. You know, Mm -hmm. he said, okay, okay. And so the video starts and I would say I don't recognize the music. You know, for one month and a half, you hear the music on a little TV. Uh...
0: Oh, yeah, 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 like your, your editing booth, uh, basically.
1: Yeah, you don't hear the music on the computer, you hear it on the TV. So the music is a bit better, but it's a small TV, kind of a cheap TV. So but when the sounds start with the video, you know, I was more into a concert. Yeah. So so I'm like, wow. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's definitely crazy. I mean, at the time, nobody in the team have ever watched the video. Not even uh, Jeremy? No. Okay, wow. Jeremy went to see the, the, he went to see many of the tricks. He knew the skateboarding we have, the level, so he knew that at some point he went to the office you know and said okay maybe you can show me or maybe also for his part maybe he wanted to edit it uh, a bit with me but pff, when you you spend one hour two hours next to a guy editing a video for one month and a half nothing is happening I mean yeah so <laughs>
0: you just leave yeah
1: you just leave. I mean, I showed Jeremy some of the editing because he probably went to visit me because he was staying in Lyon and I was editing in Paris. So it's, it wasn't also easy for him to, he would need to go to Paris to, you know, at the time you couldn't send someone a video part with internet. It, it wouldn't exist, you know? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And so uh, Jeremy and every writer discovered the video as well as everybody I think it's pretty rare that uh, no nobody in the team ever see a, a video premiering.
0: Yeah, they see it at the premiere in front of everybody and they uh, everybody's been waiting for 2 hours and
1: imagine it's shit, you know, you discover your video part and you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But uh I remember so in the cliché video I I think the intro it's kind of like uh powerful when the 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 skate starts, you know, I wanted it to yeah. be like boom, you know. So mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like this and like you can imagine like everybody is going crazy in the mm-hmm. in the room and like whoa. And so every rider, either they just come and see me or we have an eye contact and...
0: They're stoked, they're super happy.
1: Yeah, they're stoked and they're super happy and they say thank you with the eye contact and that. I think it's really at the time that they realize that what they have individually done and what we have done collectively as a collective, as a team and uh, that's a good souvenir and it's funny because you know we, we recorded it on the puzzle at some point nobody stopped the video oh yeah so after after <laughs> the, yeah, the,
0: it, it went into the
1: not directly, but you had some black, you know, for some time. And after the the end of a puzzle video that was longer than the Europa, <laughs> started, started, started again. I was also very anxious that actually the video would crash or yeah, well, yeah. It would be a problem with the sound or because I I wasn't be able to check the whole video. So yeah, when you think about all this together, it's. Uh, but I was still stoked, and uh, Jeremy was uh, yeah, he was very happy. He was. Uh, Yeah, totally happy, I would say. That's that's a good souvenir.
0: I think you told me you went to the U.S. and on the trip you had the opportunity to stop by the 411 offices. Uh, I don't know where they are, but I guess in California probably. Yeah. And so you, you had an appointment with Josh Friedberg, who was the, like pretty much the, the founder of 411 or something. And so you sat down with him and uh, probably Jeremy was there as well. And um, you talked about filming a little tour section that would uh, go into a 411. Can you tell me a little bit about how that opportunity came about?
1: The thing was like the, so the video premiered in... Uh Mid-November, I think we probably had the first uh, tape and DVDs for Christmas. It was probably uh, a goal or an objective uh, for the sales. And uh, in January, there was this uh, big trade show in uh, in Los Angeles. I can't remember the name, but it's the... The, the ASR trade show or something? Or? Yeah, that's it. Good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because when you're doing this video, I mean, the job is not finished, you know. So... Uh, for sure, you're going to send it to the magazine and everything, but you're sending your video to the U.S. It's uh, nobody knows about cliché. You not even know if someone is going to watch the video. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we went to Los Angeles for a few days for this stretcher show with few goals in mind. We really bring the cliché videos with us to uh, just simply uh, go to the booth, you know, uh, to the brands and meet the magazine and give the the video in hands. Mm-hmm. Because it's not only about the media, you know, but it's good also to, uh, if you give it to a few pro skateboarders and they watch it and they like it and they speak about it to someone else, maybe to their shop. And we were also trying to find a distributor for cliché. Okay. Not for the video, but uh, uh, for the
0: boards, uh, the products. yeah. Yeah.
1: We found one, a small one, so it never, at this time, it never really uh, went big, but uh, yeah, yeah. at least we found one. And I have decided in mind to, to go and meet uh, 411, because I don't exactly know when uh, it came to my mind, but I think that was the next step, to be totally legit, to be to really have the credibility and be a skate company, a skate brand that everybody know. It wasn't only about making a really good video, you needed to be on 411.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: It's hard to imagine for people, uh, for maybe the young skater, uh, what was 411 at the time. And sometimes not like puzzle, but sometimes people were a bit, especially during the years of negative critics with 411, but You were sure to have a part in 411, a pro part as a rider, or a company part that everybody, every skateboarder in the world, or at least every shop owner in the world, will know about your brand. So I had this in mind, and I don't know, I can't remember, it's a long time, if I had previous contact with 411
0: before you went there?
1: Or if we just went to the office like this. Okay. And yeah, I think I told you it was Josh Friedberg, but uh, it, it wasn't Josh Friedberg. We met Colin Kennedy. So, Colin Kennedy, it's a filmer, a really good filmer who
0: Is he the guy who made uh, Skatemore, the DVS uh, video?
1: Right, that's him. Right. So, in the end, we went to the office. I don't know why, but we are in the US with uh, Hugo Liard. Oh, okay. It was a friend of us, but I don't know why he's coming. Uh, and also, maybe uh, it's just for the French or the Lyon scene, but uh, with Ben Gonsolin, it's Ben, the owner oh, yeah. of uh, Wall Street Sketchup, the right. famous yeah. Sketchup in Lyon. So we are in the US and we go all uh, with Jeremy also at the One office. And and I don't know, I'm like a kid, you know, we take a picture with the <laughs> sound and Colin Kennedy is very nice. I don't know how, but he already saw the video and like it. Yeah. And um, I thought it would be more difficult to convince him to have a tour part. So to have a cliche brain doing a tour, filming a tour and having a, a part in the 411. So yeah, the deal is done and, and we go back in France and... Um, thinking about this tour it's almost like the cliche video for me filming this part i know it's a unique opportunity i know if we make it uh, not so good or just an okay part it's almost as if we failed yeah so yeah i put lots of energy and uh, we do a very long tour so we do a three and a half weeks tour mission with almost all the team And uh, we go in Spain Mm -hmm. because of the skate spots and because of the weather also. To be sure that we are going to have nice weather, nice lights. Be sure to be able to maybe skate every day. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's the same deal. We want to show new spots because we know we will impact some of the people because there is good skateboarding from people unknown and on skate spots never seen. Mm So we go in Spain, we start in the Basque country, we travel to Madrid also after, to Sevilla, to Malaga and back to Barcelona. Okay. It's a long tour, kind of uh, tiring for everybody. It's very hot, very, very, very hot. Look, it's good to have good weather, but when it's 40 degrees, (laughs) 40 degrees. Yeah, complicated. So we end up in uh, Barcelona. It's uh, it's easy. It's also starting to be famous spot, but because I think it's, it was really important to have never seen spots, but also spots that started to be known internationally. It means okay, you do this trick on this spot. Wow, that means something. Mm-hmm. So I think the cliché tour in the 411 was quite good. There was a very positive response and, and reviews and uh, from people. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a confirmation that what we did with the Europa was not just a, a one shot. Yeah, yeah. And I was very happy that at the time 411 they did, they were doing six videos a year and each year they would do a best of. Oh, yeah. The best of uh, what was in six videos, and for example, you had one pro part, and you probably had one or two tours, and we were selected in the best of nine. So that was. uh,
0: Big uh, recognition, yeah, acknowledgement.
1: I wasn't expecting this at all, so we did a very good job.
0: Yeah. So you did Europa, then the four one segment, and uh, a little bit after that, you had the opportunity to go work at Globe. So can you tell me a little bit about how they approached you, or how how did this opportunity happen for you, and uh, what exactly was your job over there? Were you doing the same thing basically, being the team manager and uh, and a filmer? Or
1: hey, it's, it's like quite the same job. I worked with a contract for Cliché for two or three years. Mm-hmm. After that, I went back working with Puzzle because Puzzle Video at the time was, they had way more budget and uh, it was kind of the years where, I mean, Europe was booming and Puzzle also was a way to show the European talent. So there were a lot of exposure and the video was uh, something going huge in Europe. Yeah, Yeah. Not only the company uh, video and um, Globe Shoes. Uh, they were doing this huge contest in Melbourne each year. In the it's called the Rod Laver Arena. It was always around February when it's the summer. Yeah, summer over there. It's right after the tennis tournament. You know, there's oh, yeah. for uh, large tournaments. So you can imagine it's like in France. It's like the Bercy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a huge contest and at the time they asked me to come and film to cover the contest for Puzzle. I mean, GLOBE asked us to film for Puzzle also because they are about to start the European Headquarters for GLOBE. Okay. At the time, I just here also, before I go to uh, Australia for the contest, I knew that they are about to start the European headquarters. They are looking for a team manager to mm-hmm. start the Globe European team. They have a strong ambition to do a, a real European team. Mm-hmm. So I go there and uh, it's so crazy because they are doing like, a, there's a two, three days competition and it's a two, three days of party. They pay you everything in bars, in clubs, in, uh, and at some point um, at the restaurant, you know, is, uh, everything is, is free. The, the restaurant is booked only for Globe and skaters and journalists and everything. And the guy who will uh, soon be director for Globe Europe, who is already working uh, in Australia for Globe as a vice president or something like this, he was called Matt Wong. He just come to sit next to me at the restaurant and he just introduced himself and say, OK, I'm going uh, in Europe in one month, I think, and uh, we start this thing and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was really interested to work again for a company and be a team manager. That's something I really liked. And yeah, I got the job. And so it started pretty fast. You know, in one or two months, uh, I hear about mm-hmm. the job. I went to Australia and I got the job. So... I set up a European team, I had a very nice budget for the time, they trust me a lot. I managed to build a team, to also Mm -hmm. build this team spirit that was really important, but we go on tour, we film, and we have to remind that Globe at the time, the shoes are quite uh, shit, you probably uh, have one or two pairs of shoes you can actually skate, so the the skaters are sponsored, they skate one or two pairs of shoes only. And you have all these uh, very ugly and wide uh, Chatham shoes <laughs> that just yeah. make so much money uh, out of it. But yeah. to be honest, Globe at the time it's a well-known brand. They have good international riders, but the image is not so yeah, good. Yeah,
0: not so good. Yeah.
1: So it was an, a nice challenge to try to build something because if I don't know if it was DC shoes or Ethnies. There's not so much change, but it was mm-hmm. interesting for me to try to say, OK, we have this brand and
0: let's try to make it cool. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. In the end, at the same time, they were trying to make it cool on an international level. At some point, they made few pairs of shoes that were cool. They had new pros. They were changing the graphic layout in the ads. So it was also the right moment. But uh, I knew if I was doing something good with the riders, it would have a very positive impact and clear impact directly. Because if you do a European team with DC, it's cool. But I mean, uh, DC Shoes, the legacy of the brand is done.
0: Yeah. But with uh, Globe, you could build something. You could tell a story.
1: In Europe, I could be able to, with the riders, to build something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And to make a change with distributor, with sales, and with kids, seeing, oh, in the end, it's a European team, but, oh, globe is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you buy a skate product, you know, it's, uh, oh, it's cool. Oh, yeah. made cool. I was able, I think, to just put one uh, guy on the team. It's Jan Cleaver. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who I already put uh, on the cliché team. Yeah. And I was always so impressed about Jan, you know. At the time, the technical trick with Noli from Zykrut, when nobody was doing it on rails and and he was powerful and stylish at the same time. Yeah, he had good style, yeah. And the two times, for Cliché and for Globe, I had to convince him a lot. At the time for Cliché, he was just starting to be pro for a German Mm -hmm. brand with his friends, and uh, it was hard, but I was very happy to convince him to join Cliché, it was good for the German market. I mean, in Europe, the business is when you have France, Germany, and England.
0: Yeah. Those are the main uh, markets. Yeah. yeah,
1: To be honest, that's the market where you're sure to make a lots of money. So, sure. so it was important. And for Globe Shoes, he was on DC Shoes on the European team for years. Mm-hmm. I think he was really into DC. Uh, and so it was hard. But at the time, I knew him a lot from the KC days. Yeah. And we were friends. and He trusted you. Yeah. He trusted me. But... I still had to convince a lot about the image, you know. He's yeah. In DC is a stylish skateboarder, you know, and okay, you have to come with this shoe brand. Yeah.
0: With the Chet Thomas big tank shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I managed to convince him, and that was important for me, you know, because for people, okay, Cleaver is on globe. That means something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It means you're doing your job right. Yeah
1: because i wasn't like buying him like uh, four times the money or whatever mm-hmm. it wasn't really something about the money because it was probably even almost the exact money it was okay Jan, come with me because we are doing something not like cliche but almost you know yeah, yeah, yeah. we are doing tours we're doing good stuff i have some budget we're going to film so mm-hmm. i'm sure for the people some of the in the sketch skin are in germany you know okay cleaver is on the globe if such a rider is making this move, immediately, that means something for the brain, you Sure. Know I mean? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you have a very uh, stylish uh, American skateboarder joining, uh, it was probably the, the, the case for Appleyard, you know?
0: When he went to Globe, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I can't say uh, Cleaver is the German Appleyard, but there are some similarities. Yeah. A good skateboarder, a very stylish one, and a skateboarder that is, I would say, a lot respected. Sure. And with very smooth skateboarding, so yeah. maybe Cleaver was my uh, apple yard. Your apple. <laughs> and so I, I've been working for Globe for four years and a half.
0: That stopped in 2007 or 8, around there, right?
1: Yeah, that stopped 2008. It's funny because I can't remember so much some dates, but I know I've started April 24 and I've stopped September 28 because it's not only stopping working for globe it's uh, quitting skateboarding the skate industry it's like my decision difficult decision to stop working in your passion yeah that's a very very difficult one because in 2007 i got separated we had a child together and he was uh, very young he was three years old I knew if I wanted to grow in my career in the skate industry, I would need to go in the south. I mean, either go to the Globe office or change company, but Quicksilver, Bilabon, Globe Shoes, so many. Because the surf company, I mean, that was also them who had the money to be able to do European team or pay people, you know. Sure. Or go to capital city, in a large city in Europe. So, in fact, yeah. I would need to move. And the deal was with my ex-girlfriend. Okay, so I end up having my son with me one week every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Which is not obvious because sometimes, you know, the father, you know, they have like one weekend every two weeks. But uh, it was really important for me. But the deal was course, like, yeah. okay, either the mother or me, if someone lives Lyon, he can live, but without our son. Mm. I mean, I knew I would have to quit skateboarding because I would not be able to move from Lyon. Yeah. I couldn't, simply couldn't imagine that. And at some point in 2008, my boss, James Appleby, it was very easy to work with him. He Mm -hmm. trusted me so much. He was a fucking nice guy, like an incredible guy. And he left to Amsterdam to work for Sol Technology. Oh, yeah. Okay. As marketing director or sales and marketing director. And so when he announced that to the whole team, everybody was sad. Mm-hmm. In my head, I said, OK,
0: time to leave. Yeah,
1: time to leave, time for change. And so I needed to find a job in Lyon. I did work for Cliché. time wasn't the job and there were no other opportunity to work in the skate industry in Lyon. Yeah. I wasn't also planning to keep filming uh, by myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I stopped working in my passion. It's... At- Terrible decision. Mm. I had the opportunity to work for four years in digital communication agencies. Yep. The first day I arrived, I think at the job, my new boss just took shit to me like uh, she was very angry, like, because at some point she gave me two more projects. I had already lots of projects to deal with. You know, I was project manager, and I just come to her, I remember, and say. Uh, uh, probably can't do these two new projects. And she said, nobody ever said me no.
0: <laughs>
1: first day, man, you, you quit your job, you quit your passion and you arrive this first day. And at the time I have a kid and I just bought an apartment one year ago. So you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, you're fucked. You can't, yeah, you,
0: you, you can't just quit the job. Uh, yeah.
1: I, it was terrible, terrible. Like, uh, oh my God, yeah. But uh, I learned a lot. It was interesting. It was tough. I had an interesting salary, and I had responsibility, and I learned so much. I think in my whole career, all the time, I've been learning so many different jobs, but sometimes with um, difficulties. It's kind of the same as... uh, Not exactly the same as the editing, the the cliché Europa, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then after I went from 2012 to 2018 so six years, I worked for two very large companies, like a French company called Group Seb, who has like 25 brands in the world, 25,000 employees at the time, and they make like 4 billion turnover. I don't Mm -hmm. know. So it's a very large company with 6,000 employees in France. So you're coming from the little brand, little yeah. company. You're coming from Jeremy, uh, one man uh, <laughs> company uh, yeah. with his uh, artistical way of uh, managing a company to uh,
0: two different worlds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after that, I had the opportunity to work for a bank. Yeah, Crédit Agricole, right? Crédit Agricole, so it's a large French bank but it's also almost an international uh, banking group yeah i jumped on this opportunity also because i could be self-employed i was working every day but i was uh invoicing them
0: oh yeah you weren't like employed uh yeah
1: i was unemployed
0: okay yeah
1: i'm not someone who, who is really after money but i could make so much money definitely crazy like Probably three to four times what I was making uh, in my good years in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. But uh, at some point, when you add a very large bank and IT department, it's like uh, probably one of the most boring uh, areas. So, (laughs) yeah. And at some point, I went to my wife and said, When I go to working at Crédit Agricole, I feel like I'm going to jail every day.
0: Yeah, that sucks.
1: Yeah. I was getting also 40. You know, it's the kind of the crisis of the midlife. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> my father died from a cancer. Oh, right, yeah. In six months, and yeah, you, you mix all that, and at some point, you're like... Uh, what the
0: hell am I doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I told me, I want to do something I want to do or I like again. Yeah. And at this time, I'm on holidays, and I got, you know, a job alert... I think it's a digital and customer relation manager for a ski resort in France called uh, Les Arcs. And so I'm like, I'm so psyched about the job. I just uh, make an application, but uh, rapidly. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm a bit over um, experienced and probably yeah. my expectation, even if I make some efforts would be too important for the salary. So I made the application directly to the marketing director. She was very interesting uh, right away. And after she told me, no, it's not going to be possible. Mm. For sure, for a few days, I was depressed because I was like, OK, this is the thing I really want to do. It's like working for the promotion and the marketing of a ski resort. That was my goal. And it took me a few months. Um, I worked a lot. You know, I remember I was working like uh, early in the morning. I was working after my day job at uh, Crédit Agricole. And, oh, yeah. uh, I made it and I found a job in a village and ski resort in the French Alps. Uh, it's called uh, Villard de Lens and that's where I still live today and I was like deputy director for promotion digital also like a sales service to book your holidays for the tourist office so that was really interesting but shit happens because um, <laughs> the touristic uh, industry especially in those uh, ski, ski resorts resort, they are really linked to the city council and last year they were uh, elections the elections yeah yeah and uh mayor and the city council changed and uh when you are those kind of responsibilities uh, usually they kick you off oh yeah yeah, okay and they made it <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me a check but it was not so easy so i've been working for three years it ended in january
0: so of this year right so so about about a year ago
1: about a year and if i want to keep on in this new industry I have to move again my family because I went there for one job. So when you lose this job... Yeah, there's
0: there's not much left to do. yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you take a new job and you move to a large city, okay, if the job doesn't make it or finally it ends, you will find a new job. But here I knew it was only one job. Yeah. So... There's two options. Either I'm keep on working in the touristic industry and especially around ski resort, mm-hmm. or I'm also working on the different kind of projects so to again do something different. Yeah, and I'm really into uh, nature and organic food, and I work on a plan to build a farm, a little right. farm. Yeah. Yeah to grow vegetables and small fruits and trying to stay in the mountains where I live so my kids can uh, just uh, stay with their friends and...
0: And have a good quality of life and...
1: So yeah, the plan is to try to stay there after... The problem is like it's really hard to be allowed to buy agricultural... uh, Some land? Yeah. I'm trying to buy some these days I know if I'm allowed to buy them, the deadline is 15th of December. So if I have no news till 15th of December, I can buy the land and the house. That's a so cool project. Yeah. Even if it's going to be so difficult because we are in the mountains, so it's hard to grow vegetables. But uh, I would say that's, again, that's something no, that's something I'm passionate about. And that's something that makes sense. Sure. Even if it's hard, I know every day I'm not going to ask myself
0: why am I doing this. Yeah yeah, 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 you have purpose.
1: I think in your life, when you have the opportunity to have an answer to the question why the fuck I am doing this and you have yeah, an opportunity right. to solve this problem, it's a chance. So the problem is sure. like if it doesn't work, I don't really have a other option. Yeah. So you'll figure we'll it see. out, <laughs>
0: you'll, you'll find a solution. So I told you I had questions for you from uh, Pontus and from uh, Greg Poissonnier. And actually, yes. the question that Greg had for you, I'll play it on on the podcast. Okay. Hey Ben, this is Greg. I hope you're doing well. It's been a long time. So Quinton has reached out to me to know if I had a question for you. Since you're going to be interviewed on Beyond Boards, it will be nice to hear from you. So here's my question. After your departure from Globe Dwindle, you transitioned into a very different field. And I was curious to know how skateboarding might have helped you or not in this new career path. Thanks. Talk to you soon. So Greg Poissonier was uh, my guest on episode four, I think, of this podcast.
1: I listened to it. I was really pleased to listen to it. Greg was uh, the French team manager for GLOBE. He was hired not so long uh, after me. Mm -hmm. I think working in skateboarding and also being a skateboarder, but I have to admit, I really um, discovered it when I was working. When you work for communication, marketing, not only skateboarding, but let's say surf, skate, and snowboard, there's no really difference between the brands and uh, let's say skateboarding, the skate decks, skateboard decks. Even if there's uh, the time, there were a few different manufacturers. There's no different technology. Yeah. So basically, it's about the marketing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You have to try to be different or to be noticed, because mm-hmm. you don't have to be different. You have to make sure people notice your brand. You have to be legit. You have to build the brand uh, marketing on a long time. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's easy to have lots of money and build something, but um, if it's up and down, only the company that are doing the right stuff on a long time will always um, have benefits and uh, will sure. not lose.
0: Uh, you need a consistency, basically, yeah.
1: And the other stuff also, it's about like uh, create content. So it learned me all that because nowadays everybody is doing that. Mm. It's about content creation. It's about community. It's about brand marketing. It's about Mm. whatever. But in fact, all the brands, they are doing that. Not only in, I don't think about skateboarding. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, although you know, they're doing yeah. brand marketing and like content creation. But in fact, we were doing that twenty, twenty-five years ago, and even before at this time, because that was how we were doing the marketing, the promotion, the brand communication. So that's why I kept trying to use, and probably also the something about project management. Mm. For example, when you organize a tour for two weeks, you book everything. Uh, I thought about when I was organizing planning tours, that I had the image in my head about missing a train or missing a flight. Mm-hmm. And all my plane, everything I, I had...
0: You had been working on?
1: For the day is coming, it's fucked, yeah. it's totally fucked. Because I was optimizing, so everything is so tiny, so, yeah. you know, there's no spare time and you don't even have the money to buy new flights or new train or whatever. Mm. So. I remind something else, it's also about the management, mm-hmm. it's very simple and it has something to come with one of my nicknames, it's to manage something. You can't either be the best mate or the general, or oh, yeah. you know, the dictator. And one of my nicknames was General. <laughs> I think it's uh, Bressol, Geoffrey Vanhove, uh, who were making uh, fun of me uh, with that. I told you I was pushing the scaler, but actually I wasn't really at all um, a dictator or general. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, course. you know, I trust them. If they were making errors or mistakes or whatever, I was really um, okay with that. Mm-hmm. But they knew that at some point, if we had some job to do, like a demo, like a, a video pass, like a shooting, like a whatever, we had to get the job done. And it's probably coming from this. It's like, it's a general. It's like, okay, like, <laughs> now it's... A, There's no joke anymore. Yeah, let's stop stop fucking
0: around. uh, Let's get down to business. Yeah.
1: You know, it's so easy when you're a manager, if you have no pressure for a result, to be the best friend. You know, it's so easy. You're like, okay. Mm -hmm. And it can work to be the general, the dictator, but uh, on the very short term. Yeah. So it's something interesting. It's more subtle, more complicated. How I'm always in my job managing uh, teams of employees after skateboarders. And also something is like, if you're able to manage skateboarders, you're probably able to manage every kind of employees. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I say that because I love them, but...
0: So, okay. Very last question from Pontus. I'll just read you what he told me. And uh, you can can pick something to talk about. He said... Ask him about his party weekends in Chamonix. Ask him about fighting the Arnett surf manager inside the camper van on a surf skate trip to
1: Lisboa. (laughs) I totally (laughs) forgot about this one.
0: (laughs) Okay. And he said, ask him where all the raw tapes went. I imagine he means the raw tapes of uh, Europa. But I I guess the Arnett surf manager thing seems (laughs) interesting. So if you want to tell me about that.
1: Now, just quick. I never been partying in Chamonix, but okay. what it means is like I was a lot into partying. Okay. And sometimes with Nicolas Caron we were go to uh, not the typically skate bar, but it was fun for us to go in real nightclubs and meet nice girls and not only go to the skate bar with the, the bunch of dudes. dudes. Yeah, <laughs> mostly dudes and two three girls at the time. I think yeah. now it's changing, but you know sometimes you know that's that's what the cliché day. Sometimes we're like yeah. okay maybe we can go in classic bar or nightclubs to really meet meet girls. You know we talk to some women for a change. <laughs> yeah. So that's why. I Thing and he says Chamonix for the famous spot or whatever, or maybe okay. the mountain. <laughs> wow, the Arnett surf manager. Is like, I totally forgot about this story. But Jeremy was sponsored by Arnett, a sunglass company. And right, right. We did a crazy uh, trip on the camper van, mm-hmm. but uh, we were not sleeping on the camper van. We had hotels. they paid everything. So we had some filming done for the Cliché Europa during this tour. Right. I think I remember it was at a gas station. The guy was an asshole. I'm not someone fighting, but at some point, uh, if you're going to piss me a lot and you even want to fight, maybe it's going to happen. But uh, we did crazy parties uh, in Lisboa. There were a plane in the city, like a, a plane that wasn't working anymore. Oh, okay, and yeah, they yeah. made, okay. they made a bar in the plane. <laughs> and I think I, I don't want you to tell too much about this. And the, <laughs> and the, the raw tapes. Um, Bantus, they are probably in Lyon, the tapes. Maybe Junior, who was a filmer for Cliché also, but... Uh, I
0: mm-hmm. hope
1: I will uh, get the, the tapes back. Yeah,
0: that would be cool. I'd love to see some, uh, some more footage from that whole, uh, whole time.
1: Uh, there's not so much footage left. For sure, we <laughs> everything we filmed... ...went uh... right into the video. Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you
0: very much, Benoit, for uh, okay. speaking with me for quite a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. I had a great time talking to you, so thank me you too, so much. Me too,
1: me too. You know, it's uh, the souvenir. It's, yeah. I have been so lucky to work in the skateboard and to film with those guys, and that those guys, all the different guys I've been filming for, that just uh, trust me. So, thank you uh, everybody I've been filming for.
0: That's it for my conversation with Ben Doren. You can follow Ben on Instagram at Ben Doren. If you haven't ever seen it, go watch the Cliché Europa video on YouTube, DVD or VHS, better late than never. While you're at it, go check out the Cliché Spain tour from 411 video magazine Best of 9 or any puzzle video that Ben has largely contributed to throughout his years as a skate filmer promoting the European skate scene. Thank you for listening to this episode. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.